This episode features depictions of violence, death, and graphic imagery that some listeners may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. The train scuttled across the tracks. Mei Fen watched the countryside roll by, her boyfriend standing beside her. They were so close, so close to escaping China for a new life in Hong Kong. They were riding to Kowloon, but plotted a route that would circumvent border security. They didn't have proper passports, so it would still be risky if they were caught on board the train. Mei Fen's boyfriend could tell she was nervous, rubbing her neck and stroking her beautiful single braid to ease her anxiety. The serenity was interrupted when the door to the next car slid open. A border officer stepped through the gap. Mei Fen's heart caught in her throat. She turned to warn her boyfriend, but he was already gone. Not a care for her or her safety. She looked back, and her eyes met the officers. He could see the terror in her gaze. Despair overwhelmed Mei Fen immediately. There was no time. She would have to risk it, or else face deportation, arrest, or worse. With all her strength, Mei Fen forced the train door open and watched the landscape pass below. The officer pleaded with her not to jump. It was too dangerous. She took a deep breath and launched herself to freedom. Almost immediately, she felt a terrible pain snap her head back. Her beautiful braid caught on the door as she flew through the air. She flailed helplessly, pulled along by the train. Her legs were skinned and then shattered as they were dragged along the tracks. Her scalp tore slowly along with her beautiful dark hair. She heard a sickening snap, and she was free, tumbling across the tracks and coming to rest on a lonely road nearby. She was delirious with pain and heartache. As the flood of adrenaline slowed, Mayfen realized she couldn't blink. She felt her head, but could only touch bone. The train hadn't just pulled off her hair, It pulled off her entire face and scalp with it. She cried and screamed for help for her former boyfriend, but nobody came. Mei Fen died on the road, the road outside the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. 
this week. Join me on a supernatural journey to the Chinese University of Hong Kong and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. The Chinese University of Hong Kong, or CUHK, was founded in 1963 with a charter from the local legislative council. Created as a research university with a mixture of both Chinese and Western educational styles, CUHK has the largest campus in Hong Kong, after assimilating nearby schools. It boasts nine different colleges as part of its unique school system. The campus is located near the Hong Kong Mass Transit Rail, or MTR, with University Station being a central stop for students. It was there that the legend of the single braid girl was born. The story goes that a woman was attempting to immigrate to Hong Kong from China alongside her boyfriend. Instead of a promising new life, she only found heartbreak and death. Her boyfriend abandoned her to save himself and her precious braid caught on the train door as she attempted to escape border security. She was scalped and left to die by the side of the road. They say her restless spirit haunts the very same road at night, still searching for her boyfriend, wanting to bring him to the other side. Henry was nervous for his first day of school. Hailing from Frankfurt, he was truly a stranger in a strange land. He barely said a word to anyone else he encountered since he first arrived in Hong Kong. He had to attend orientation events for his first week on campus, and he absolutely dreaded it, fearing the awkward moments that were sure to come. Henry paced about the auditorium. Surrounding him were students from all across the world. He had a conversation here, an introduction there, but it was all small talk. He was sure the faculty would instigate name games or some other annoying icebreakers. Henry decided he might as well make the best of it and enjoy the free food. The group was led outside to a beautiful park near the water. The starlight above them mingled with the lights of Shatian to create a stunning glow. One of the RAs stood before them, an affable and popular upperclassman named Ken, though he insisted everyone refer to him as Kenny. He welcomed the incoming freshmen and thanked the other current students for helping. For dramatic effect, he lit his flashlight under his chin and gave a sinister smile. He wanted to usher in these fresh new faces by showing them the darker side of campus, by telling the story of the single braid girl. It was currently August, the seventh month in the Chinese lunar year, a time when ghosts were said to be closer to the living realm, meaning that ghosts like the single braid girl had more power and were able to materialize on campus. Kenny went on with the tale, how the single braid girl allegedly died around the same time school began construction in the 60s. Officials fearing an incident covered it up by burying her in an unmarked grave in a potter's field. After all, she was just some nameless immigrant. 
Once the school was opened, male students and even professors claimed to see her on the road, beckoning them, looking for her lost love and luring men to their demise. This elicited murmurs and gasps from the student body. Henry was amused. He didn't believe in ghosts and thought it was just another way for the upperclassmen to mess with freshmen. He recalled reading about the poltergeist known as Chopper from his home country of Germany. That ghost haunted patients at a dentist's office, but then it turned out to be merely a sick joke by a bored assistant who could throw their voice. Like that incident, Henry was certain this tale was merely entertainment. It went on like that through the night, Kenny and the other older students sharing ghostly tales, making the assembled freshmen shiver and shake until it was time to return to their dorms. As the group was ready to return to their rooms, a hideous scream echoed through the park. All eyes were back on Kenny, who pointed and shouted at the sight of a girl in a white dress, slowly walking towards them. She had a single black braid, just like in the story. Her hands reached down to grip Kenny by the throat. The students were shocked and terrified by the ghastly scene before them, many screaming and cowering before the sinister spirit. The spirit let out a dreadful wail that made Henry's hands shake. She pointed at Kenny, asking if he was her beloved boyfriend. She reached out to him with a pale hand and black fingernails, reaching closer and closer, only to pull her braid aside to reveal herself as simply another RA. <laughs> Kenny howled in laughter, along with the other students who were in on the joke. The confused freshmen soon joined in, relieved it was a prank. Henry barely budged. His heart was palpitating, but he refused to show it. He found the whole setup annoying. He walked away from the assembled crowd, preferring to return on his own, despite the freshmen traveling on the main path. Henry had enough of Kenny, the RAs, and the other students for one night. He just wanted to be alone. It would take a bit longer, but he was sure he could walk around the campus and find a shortcut back to the dorm. He refused to admit that their stupid stunt had him rattled, and in spite, he refused to let it create some sort of bond between himself and his peers. While walking past the cantina, Henry admired the beauty of Chatien. The lights of the city glowed across the water. Suddenly, he heard something around the dark road. It was a woman, crying. Whoever it was sounded like she wanted to be left alone, but Henry's curiosity pulled him forward all the same. He scanned either side of the road, looking for the weeping woman. No one on the benches, no one in the bushes. The road was completely empty. Maybe his mind was playing tricks on him. Or worse, maybe it was Kenny and the RAs singling out the one freshman renegade. He rubbed his eyes. He was tired, that was all. 
Yet the crying did not subside. In fact, it grew closer. He blinked, and with the opening and closing of his eyelids, a woman materialized before him, standing under the streetlight and facing away with a long black braid trailing from her head and down her back. Up next, Henry finds there's truth behind some legends. Now back to the story. Henry wasn't impressed by the upperclassmen's attempts to scare him with ghost stories during orientation. But now that he was walking home, he was forced to contend with the sudden appearance of a girl that looked a lot like the single braid girl of campus legend. Jaw agape from shock, Henry stared at the woman, who clearly hadn't been there moments before. He gulped and approached, hoping this was just some insane coincidence. As he stepped closer, he asked if she was okay. No response. Henry asked if there was anything he could do to help her. Once again, no response. Her face was hidden behind her hands. The single braid trailed down next to her, shuddering with her sobs. He was unable to turn himself away. Feeling drawn to the strange woman, Henry reached out to touch her shoulder and get her attention. She lowered her hands to reveal a terrible visage. No skin, no face. Tears streaming from her eye sockets like waterfalls. Through her cracked teeth, she asked Henry if he was her boyfriend. Henry screamed with such force, he thought his vocal cords would rip. He turned and sprinted away, faster than he had ever ran in his life. The image of her skeletal features stuck in his mind, not leaving him, even after he got back to the safety of the dorms. Kenny was the first to find Henry, screaming in terror and on the edge of a breakdown. The campus security investigated the road, but could not find the skull-faced girl that Henry raved about. Henry became obsessed afterward, spending his nights at Single Braid Road until he had to be removed. But he never saw the weeping woman again. There are conflicting reports as to which specific road around campus is the infamous Single Braid Road. The one most cited has been Campus Circuit Road, along the Residence Road, close to the New Asia College section of the university. You might think if you stay off Single Braid Road at night, you'll be safe. But the ghost of this university sometimes strays off the beaten path. Though the Single Braid Road is the usual home of the Single Braid Girl, there's another place the spirit has been reported to appear. Campus urban legends also say she manifests at a small park with a pond called the Lotus Pool. The ghost is said to crawl out from the body of water at a certain time at night in order to drag unfortunate men to a watery demise. 
Zhang Yao didn't think too much of the lotus pool when she started school, but she had eventually come around on it. Now, in her junior year, it had become her preferred study spot, far better than the claustrophobic study halls and libraries. The sound of running water in particular soothed her stressed-out mind. She often sat at one of the park benches around the pool and read her textbooks. Other students would walk or jog by, play some sports, maybe lay down and take a nap, but never in a way that disrupted the serene environment. Today, however, she noticed something off. It was the French professor, Mr. Francis. Zhang rarely, if ever, saw him outside of the classroom. Yet, there he was, standing at the water's edge, staring into the pool. It was like he wasn't even seeing his own reflection. Mr. Francis stared with such intensity that Zhang would swear he was attempting to look beyond the pool and into the earth below. Sweat beating on his brow, as though something had shaken him to his core. Zhang was tempted to say hello, or to get his attention in some way. But he was in such a trance, she felt uneasy doing so, opting instead to return to her studies. She told herself Mr. Francis was simply lost in thought. The next day, Zhang's tranquility was once again interrupted by the odd behavior of a French professor. Just like the day before, he stood at the water's edge, staring into its depths. He was transfixed, hypnotized, until the water bubbled and he gave a startled gasp, nearly tripping over himself as he backed away. He scrambled to his feet and shuffled off to the main campus so fast, his shoes skidded on the pavement. Zhang was unsettled by her teacher's strange behavior. Two days in a row of staring, and now this bizarre reaction. Looking over to where he had been standing, she realized he had dropped something at the pond's edge. Curious, she walked over. It was a crumpled piece of paper. Zhang unfolded the page to discover a series of scribbles in ink, all repeating the same words in English. Ten o'clock. Dozens, if not a hundred times over on both sides. Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. That night, Zhang ate with some friends at the canteen. She explained the situation and the note. Everyone had a theory. One friend said that maybe Mr. Francis was being blackmailed and had to turn over a huge sum of money at the park. Another suggested that he had lost his mind and was writing the same line on repeat while having some kind of psychotic break. Yet another suggested he was possessed by the ghost that supposedly haunted the Lotus Pool, a young woman who drowned herself after being ditched by her lover. Zhang scoffed at these ideas. They were all ridiculous. She just had her French class with Mr. Francis earlier this week, and he appeared normal. There had to be some logical explanation. With that in mind, Zhang excused herself. She told her friends she would be going back to her dorm for the evening to finish her studies. As she walked out of the canteen, she noticed how bare the campus had become. 
What time was it? Looking at her watch, she realized it was close to 10 o'clock. Then it occurred to her. Mr. Francis would most likely return to the lotus pool at 10. She was certain of it. It would bring her some answers, and at least some peace of mind. She walked down the path leading from the canteen until the pool was in sight. The area around the lotus pool was completely empty. She relaxed. At least she didn't catch Mr. Francis in some kind of scandalous rendezvous. It was just her. The crickets chirping, the placid water, and the moonlight. Approaching the lotus pool, she stepped on something. Zhang looked down and moved her foot. It was a notebook. Zhang picked up the book and leafed through it. It started normally enough. Various notes and memos that Mr. Francis left for himself. Reports, grades, that sort of thing. But as she read further, the phrase 10 o'clock began to appear in the pages. First, a few over Mr. Francis's academia, then over schedules. On each page, 10 o'clock repeated over and over again until it filled entire blank pages. Most of it was written in ink, but some instances seemed to be scratched in by hand and written in blood. If this was Mr. Francis's notebook, where was Mr. Francis? Zhang stepped in a small puddle. It hadn't been raining and there was no sprinkler system. The only water nearby was the lotus pool. She scanned the rest of the water. There was no sign of anyone, let alone Mr. Francis. Zhang had had enough. She was going straight to campus security to tell them everything she saw. As she turned to move, she heard an unfamiliar voice asking her what time it was. Zhang saw a girl with a single braid standing at the edge of the park. She couldn't see her face in the darkness, but something felt off about her, like her eyes were two black spots in the darkness. She took a wary step back and fell into the lotus pool. Zhang struggled to stay afloat in the cold, murky water, coughing and gasping for air. Embarrassed, she paddled back to shore. Then she felt something a large, buoyant object she couldn't make out, floating just under the surface. Acting purely on instinct, she used her newfound lifesaver to help her swim forward until she reached the shore. Zhang took in several deep breaths as she felt the solid ground beneath her feet, and relief washed over her. But her relief was short-lived. Once she wiped her eyes and got a good look at the object she had used to guide herself to shore, it was the body of Mr. Francis. His face was pale, body bloated, eyes bulging, and his mouth stuck in a perpetual scream of horror. Zhang screamed for him. The lotus pool near the Chinese University of Hong Kong's Chung Chi College is another extension of the urban legend surrounding the single braid girl. 
Supposedly, the single-braid girl was to meet her boyfriend at the pool at 10 o'clock. They would run away together in order to elope. He never arrived. Despairing, she drowned herself in the water. Students say her ghost appears around the pool on certain nights to try and find the boyfriend who abandoned her, haunting the pool and asking for the time from any wayward men who cross her path. If a man tells her the time is in fact 10 o'clock, she will respond by grabbing them and dragging them to a watery doom. If the man tells her that it is before or after 10, her window of opportunity will have closed. And if it's a woman, she will lose her interest. Up next, the single braid girl seeks revenge against the man who betrayed her. Now back to the story. The single braid girl ghost story has always been popular on the Chinese University of Hong Kong campus. While there is no clear date or timeline on the history of the story, it seems to stretch back decades. The story differs in incarnations, such as with the Lotus Pool version, but a few key elements remain throughout. The girl's single braid, her facelessness, and being jilted by her callous boyfriend. There are no clear details on the single braided girl's cowardly boyfriend, except that in every incarnation he abandons her, leading to death. Her spirit anchored to the location of her demise, in wanting nothing more than to be reunited with her beloved, or any man she can get her hands on. Christopher Poe looked out the window of the train in excitement. It was his first time traveling to Sha Tien, and he was ecstatic to look at potential colleges. Chris had an interest in architecture, and the Chinese University of Hong Kong had an intensive program that would be perfect for him. Sitting across from him in the train was his father, David. He and his father had been estranged lately, and he had to practically beg his dad to accompany him on his visit to the university. Chris didn't know why, but David seemed distracted. The father and son barely talked during the entire train ride, content to simply stare out the window silently at the cityscape. Still, the would-be student looked forward to making his dad proud by getting into a prodigious school. They arrived at University Station and made their way to campus. Chris had signed up for a tour, as well as an interview with one of the deans. As they walked, Chris asked his dad why he seemed so distracted. David responded that the area was strangely familiar to him, as though he had been here a long time ago. David tried to collect himself, telling his son how proud he was of him, and how sure he was that Christopher would get accepted. They arrived at the dean's office for Chris's interview. David making himself comfortable in the lobby, taking a seat and reading the newspaper. Chris was sweating bullets for what could be one of the most important interviews of his life. The young man made a passionate case for why he belonged at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and why the school's programs in architecture would help him flourish in his career. 
The dean was impressed with Chris's determination and positivity. His prospects for getting in were looking good. When he exited the dean's chamber, Chris was shocked to find his father was missing. The interview hadn't been that long. Chris was just about to search for his father when he heard the hallway doors bang open. David sprinted from the hallway as though he were being chased. He looked pale. Sweat glistened on his brow. He breathed heavily. Chris asked his father if he was feeling okay. David responded that the trip had made him ill, but he would be fine. He just needed some air. Chris responded by trying to get his father to sit and calm down. David refused, insisting he was well enough to carry on. They had a campus tour to get to, after all. Chris couldn't help but find his father's behavior increasingly suspicious. From the train to the tour, something seemed to be weighing on him. Chris resolved to bring the subject up once they were alone. They decided to get dinner at the campus canteen. Being so far away from home, Chris and David planned on spending the night on campus and leaving by train in the morning. While eating, Chris asked his father why he was so anxious. David insisted it was just travel sickness and weariness. Chris noted that he looked nearly ready to faint when they had passed by the lotus pool. David nearly jumped out of his seat in anger. He did not want his son to bring up the subject again. Chris was apologetic and suggested they go back to the dormitory to get some rest. His father was out of the door as the words left David's mouth. Chris struggled to catch up. As they exited, David paused before a lonely road bending around the canteen. His face went pale, jaw clenching and unclenching. Chris had to snap his fingers in front of his father's face to get his attention. David excused himself, saying he was just lost in thought. He needed to rest, and retiring to the dorm room was a welcome idea. Chris couldn't help but wonder what had shaken his dad so much. It was around 3 a.m. when Chris startled awake from a strange commotion. The door had slammed shut. In a panic, Chris turned on the lights to discover his father was missing. His bed was a mess, and his luggage was still unpacked. He looked out the window to see his father run from the dorm and across campus. Chris quickly got dressed and chased after him. The anxiety was suffocating. He had to know what had frightened his father so much. He was able to follow David's trail with relative ease. That late at night, there was no one else around. Just as he was nearly out of breath, Chris saw his father enter the side street he had been transfixed by earlier that day. It was dark. The flickering street lights barely illuminated the pavement beneath. But Chris could make out a couple of silhouettes in the shadows. His father and someone else. He called out to David and his father responded by yelling, telling him to get back, to run away while he still could. Chris didn't understand. David nearly sobbed. He was apologizing profusely to another person, a woman with a single braid. 
repeatedly calling the name Mei Fen, apologizing for abandoning Mei Fen, apologizing for Mei Fen's gruesome death, apologizing for finding someone else. Under the streetlight, Chris got a closer look. The woman had no face. It looked like the skin had been violently ripped from her head, leaving her skull and her braid, and a horrifyingly permanent rictus grin. She grabbed his father tightly in her undead grasp. Her pale hand sank into David's scalp. She gripped it so tightly that Chris feared his father's head would burst. Instead, she pulled on his hair. He screamed in agony, and the skin slowly split from his face. David's face was ripped off in a cruel mimicry of the fate that befell the single braid girl. She whispered words of love and affection to David, even as she held the bloody remains of his face. Chris promptly blacked out. The last thing he heard was his father's terrified yelling. When he came to, it was morning, and he was back in the dormitory. But there was no sign of his father in their room. He searched throughout the building, throughout the campus, but couldn't find him. Eventually, campus security and then the police joined the search. But David Poe would never be found. When the People's Republic of China established itself in 1949, Hong Kong experienced a massive wave of immigration from the mainland. In order to curb this, anyone caught in the border zone was sent back. However, from 1974 to 1980, Hong Kong established a touch-base policy where any migrant who managed to make it to an urban area and get proper identification could stay. The policy was canceled due to a failure to deter any further illegal border crossings. In the tale of the single braided girl, not much is known about what became of the lover who abandoned her. Some iterations of the story say he managed to successfully make it to Hong Kong and find a new life for himself. Others say he was already a citizen and left her at the rendezvous at the Lotus Pool. Whatever the truth, the legacy of the single braid girl lives on as a story of betrayed love and the search for a better life. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legend series available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. 
I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Jacob Davison. With writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson.